there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Michael Parkhurst, who had a terrific 15-year career in MLS in Europe. We've had some great guests lately, including Hope Solo, Felipe Cardenas, and Flavio Sveter and Ricardo Fort. So check those out. We're also doing post-game instant reactions to every U.S. game from the Gold Cup with Chris Whittingham and the Olympics with Christine Cupo. So be sure to subscribe for all of that. Now, here's my interview with Michael Parkhurst. Our guest now is Michael Parkhurst. He had a 15-year pro career in MLS in Europe, won league titles with Atlanta United and Denmark's Norseland, and reached five MLS Cup finals with three different teams. He also played 25 times for the U.S. men's national team, and won Gold Cup titles in 2007 and 2013. Earlier this year, he joined the ownership group of a prospective USL championship team in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Michael, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure, Grant. It's good to talk to you again. Yeah, likewise. Uh, There's a lot to talk about, and it was really interesting to me as I was preparing for this interview and catching up with you how... So many news things going on this summer right now are things that you are connected to. And and so I want to get your take on a few different things. Obviously, we'll get into what you're doing now and and all of that. Um, But I want to start actually with the Olympics, of all things. They're going on right now. You were an Olympian in 2008, the last U.S. men's team to qualify for the Olympics. What was your experience like with the Olympics, and what do you say to anyone who says missing out on the men's Olympic tournament isn't that big a deal? I'd say they're crazy, uh, first of all, because it was one of the greatest experiences of my sporting life, uh, being able to represent the U.S. and go to the Olympics in China uh, and, and go to the opening ceremonies and obviously play in the games. Uh, that second game in the group stage is still probably the most devastating result one of the most devastating results of my career Uh, and we drew holland in that game Um, but the experience was amazing you know the tournament in hong kong leading up to it the group that we had uh it was was so much fun and and something that every four years i look back on and think man it's it's so cool that i am an olympian and that i got to partake in it yeah i actually was in the stadium for that game against the netherlands um i'm trying to see right now what i remember it was late U.S. lead, and I did someone from the Netherlands hit a free kick under the wall or something? Exactly. And, and that was at a time where, like, free kicks under the wall, I, I don't know if I had ever seen one before. Uh, it was so <laughs> rare. And, and also, um, you know, on top of that, Michael Bradley and Freddie Adu had already gotten yellow cards purposely so that they would miss the third game. Um, you know? Ah. Uh. Yeah, that draw led us to the final game where we needed to win and we got a red card three minutes in and, you know, we lose. And yeah, it was tough. That was a good U.S. team, man. Like, in a team that I think could have gone deep. I also covered the 2000 Olympics when that U.S. team got to the semifinals and your team was just as good or better, I think. And so, yeah, wow, that was 13 years ago. Holy cow. Seriously. Um, we could talk about the Olympics for a while. Let's let's move on to a couple other things that are going on. Gold Cup, we're talking on Wednesday, coming out Thursday before the semifinal. Uh, USA Qatar, of all teams, uh, on Thursday night. What's your sense of this U.S. team so far in this tournament? 
It's been fun to watch. Uh, they're they're young and they're exciting, and uh, I think that Greg for sure has them all on the same page. And uh, and one thing I've gotten from guys that I've talked to, guys that have been around the team, is the sense of camaraderie is back within the group. Uh, it's really strong right now, and Greg's done a really good job of of instituting that camaraderie within the group. Uh, so all the guys are enjoying their time together. They're, they're willing to fight for each other. You know, they've got that USA mentality, old school wise, where it's like you do anything uh, to win the game. And that's nice to see. And, and that's combined with obviously Greg's um, you know, tactical approach to games and, and the way that they play. Um, you know, so I, I expect them to win. Of course, I think we all do, but Qatar's uh, proven that they're going to be a, a real formidable challenge. Uh, so it'll be a great game. I'm looking forward to watching. I'm looking forward to, to seeing how this game might go because Qatar's, scored and conceded a lot of goals in this tournament and they're not a pushover they're the asian champion they've had 10 years since they knew they were getting the world cup to try and get a team together that wouldn't embarrass itself and you know like on the one hand they've got like five or six guys in their starting lineup who weren't born in qatar but like here in the u.s we have situations like that as well so um Every country does now. Yeah, it's it's so it's it's going to be an interesting game, and and I would even argue that from what I've seen, this Qatar team might be better even than like the South Africa team that hosted World Cup twenty ten uh, when they host next year. But we'll see how how everything shakes out. You mentioned Greg Burhalter, um, who you played for in Columbus, uh, got to an MLS Cup final with. Uh, what what makes Greg special? What's different about him? He's very, very detail-oriented. Um, there's nothing that they won't go over. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it's to a fault where it's like, yeah, Greg, maybe this should have happened, but hey, this is the game of soccer. Like, it's free-flowing. Like, you know, you can't break down everything. But that's just how he is. And uh, it, it's great to play under because you understand you know, when the ball comes to you, what should I look for first? What should I look for second? You know, so there's things to look for and there's a base to come from before you get to like the creative sparks and, and, and using your own imagination and things like that. But uh, I think that's probably welcomed uh, within the group. Um, I know I enjoyed playing under a system like that. Uh, I, I always thought it would be interesting to see how he would be able to institute that in the national team with a group that you don't get much time together with because you know in Columbus it was every day we worked on things and you know throughout the season uh so you know how would he be able to implement that but um you know the, the guys are soaking up everything really quickly you can see um things on the field and patterns that they they look for um in a style of play and and, and the more these guys are around each other the more they get to play together um you know, the better they'll be, you know, so that's why every game and every tournament matters, uh, going back to why, why missing the Olympics hurts, um, you know, all these guys, it doesn't matter what level, they need to be around each other and playing games, and, uh, but yeah, he, Greg, Greg is a fantastic coach. When you say patterns, I'm always interested in this, because I know there's like, it is free-flowing in soccer, and there's, there's set pieces when the ball's dead, but like even in the run of play, and I had a chapter about this in my last book, like it's possible to put in sort of patterns of play. It, it, is that something that Greg does? 
Definitely. I mean, if you look back to our Columbus days and, and, and the national team, I see it every now and then, but particularly with Columbus, uh, when the ball like say, gets to an outside back, you know, you, your winger is tucked in a little bit. And, you know, the first look for the outside back is can the winger pretend like he's coming to the ball and then go deep in behind the shoulder? And that's what Ethan Finley was so good with, um, you know, that year where we made it to MLS Cup and he's got, you know, 20 assists to Kai it's because he kept getting that ball in behind the outside back and then he's crossing the ball to Kai um, so it's, it's of course it's not every play and it's not all the time but in there's specific scenarios when a ball gets to a certain person hey look for this run first and you know like these two guys are on the same page so you know Harrison a fool is hitting that ball blind sometimes knowing hey Ethan's going to go down the line here um, you know things like that interesting I, you mentioned also earlier that not just on the tactical side, but sort of in the man management side in terms of players being excited to come into the team under Greg. What does a coach like Greg do to help foster that type of environment? Well, I think first and foremost, I think he makes the, the training sessions uh, fun, exciting. Um, everyone looks forward to the training sessions, um, knowing that they're going to be competitive, knowing that they're going to play games and uh, everything's going to be tracked. Um, but they're going to be engaging. They're going to learn. It's not going to be uh, boring and, you know, go out there and just kind of ad-lib everything. You know, it's, it's to a T. You know, he's got somebody saying like, hey, we're going to do this for eight minutes and then we're going to do that for 12 minutes, you know, and it's like, boom, it, it ends. Um, you know, so it's, it's very engaged training. But then off the field, I think that he, he pushes things, um, you know, where you get together off the field, you know, you go bowling, you go to a, you know, a basketball game or you do this or that, um, you know, things where you get guys out of their element and, and can open up and you, you learn about your teammates. Um, you know, I think this, these, these little clips I've seen on, on Twitter, uh, these guys, you know, you have to get two two teammates and they're talking about each other that stuff's interesting and you know that's what brings the team together right you get to know these other guys off the field a little bit no that's really cool um i was laughing as i was thinking about what i wanted to ask you about because there's so many things in the news this summer that you're connected to you are kind of like the kevin bacon of american soccer (laughs) uh you've got connections everywhere you played in denmark at club level for Casper Hulmand, who coached Denmark this summer to the Euro semifinals, which is pretty impressive. And he's got a ties, you know, North Florida from over the years as well. Um, what, what's he like? What was your experience with him? Amazing. I loved Casper. Um, I thought he was a tremendous coach. Uh, and so I'm not surprised that he got the Danish position. I'm not surprised they're doing well. Uh, similarly to Greg, tactically, he's very, very good, very smart. Uh, nothing goes unnoticed. His ability to break down game film was tremendous. Um, and I think he's got the respect of everybody on the team as well. And, and that's so important, especially these days when you can have superstars and um, get trying to get guys on the same page can be difficult. Casper's uh, just such a good human being. I think that it rubs off on guys. Guys want to play for him, want to give him their all. And similar to Greg, you have to get the buy-in from players, right? You, you can be a great coach, but if you don't get the buy-in from the players, it's, it's all for naught. And, you know, I think that Casper definitely gets that buy-in just because he's such a good person. He's got that... Uh, that approach to to people and approach to the game that you respect. 
Now, was he your coach when you were playing in Champions League? He was. Okay. And, and how did he sort of prepare your team for, you know, being at, in that level of, of competition? Yeah. I mean, obviously we were um, in water above our heads, right? We were, <laughs> we were a small little Danish team that took everybody's surprise and, and, and won the Danish league. You know, it was like a Leicester City-esque run that we made. Um, you know, and, and we didn't go out and spend massively before going to Champions League, and we get the I think the toughest group was Shakhtar, Chelsea, and Juve. Uh, so it was a combination of you know really showing us on film where we can do a little bit of damage. But I think everybody knew like, okay, hey, you know, we can be competitive. Um, it was never like, hey, let's try and win this game or let's do that. It was always you know. Uh, a realistic approach of, hey, we can hang with these guys. This is what we can do. These are a couple little weaknesses that they have. Um, these are a few strengths that they have. They're, he was really in particular about not showing us all their strengths because, you know, they just had too many for us. And it was like he didn't. I remember talking with the assistant coach at the time saying, like, yeah, you can't show us everything because these teams are so good that you don't, you don't want us to be too nervous going into these games. You know, you know they're good. Um, so, you know, we really enjoyed our experience there and there. I think that we showed well, even though a couple of results got out of hand at the end. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think we gained, garnered some respect. That's really cool. Um, so I want to ask you about Atlanta. Obviously, uh, you were a huge part of their championship winning team. Uh, lots happening there right now. Um, but first, I want to ask you about Joseph Martinez, because when he was training away from the team. This was like July 15th, so about two weeks ago. You posted a a picture of the two of you on Twitter, and then he replied, you my captain forever. And I thought it was a pretty cool moment when that was before Joseph was saying anything publicly. And uh, you could tell he really appreciated what you had done. How would you describe your relationship with Joseph over the years? Strong. We've got a very good relationship. You know, I think that uh, Joe's a one of a kind. You know, I think that like any good striker, you know, he's got a a mentality that is unique and a mentality that not everybody can understand sometimes that, you know, he can go to a place, you know, where others can't go. Um, Similar to like Clint Dempsey, where, you know, he's a good guy and everything. But when he's on the field, there's a switch and everything is gone that is like normal and you know, cognizant. And it's just like, I am focused on scoring goals and I don't care what I have to do or who I have to get, go through, whether it's a teammate or an opponent, I'm going to score goals. And that's what makes them so good. And, And Joseph definitely has that. And, you know, it can come off the wrong way sometimes with emotion. Um, you know, he's got that South American emotion and, uh, You know, he he and I were always two that, you know, I could talk to him and, you know, he respected what I had to say and um, I could, you know, kind of calm him down and rein him in a little bit. Um, You know, and I think I've come to appreciate his uh, fireness and and what he was trying to uh, do for the club when he walked off training or, you know, when he did this or that, um, where at the time I was, you know, mad at him for these types of things. I think, you know, now that I've stepped away a little bit, I can see like, man, you know, we needed some of that sometimes. And, uh, you know, so we've got a really close relationship. We talk uh, pretty often. Uh, so, yeah, he's my guy. That's really cool. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if he carried that to training sessions. So, like, when he was, when you were actually marking him, did that ever, that fieriness ever come through? Um, I saw it out on training. 
Um, <laughs> but never with me, actually. <laughs> so I guess not all, you know, the, the mental clarity was gone. You know, I think he had, he still had some where, he, you know, he, he always called me viejo. So he knew like, I can't go too hard on him. You know, he's old and fragile. So he took it easy on me. <laughs> oh, shoot. I mean, the other question I get lately is what's up with Atlanta United? And, and I realize that's a complex answer. Um, you were there at the very heights and, you know, that happened very early in that club's history and, and they've been struggling the last couple of seasons, uh, looking for a new coach. Uh, I, what are your thoughts on it? What are your thoughts on, on Gabriel Heinze being let go so soon? Yeah, it's, it's been tough to watch. You know, uh, I still love the club and I love a lot of people that are there. Um, love the fan base, obviously. So, yeah, it's, it's been tough. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, yeah, there's it's one thing has compounded the next, right? You, I've left, Jeff has left, um, so you lose the veteran leadership um, that was there. Um, you've got Brad still, but Darlington's gone. Justin Miram is gone. Uh, Julian Gressel's gone. Nagby, I mean, uh, LGP is gone. You know, not only good players, but those are veteran players. Uh, so it's it's challenging to, to make up for that. You know, you can bring in younger talent, um, but you don't know always what you're going to get. And, um, you know, that's definitely some of the case. And then... You know, you don't hit on a DP and you don't hit on a coach and you don't gel well. Um, yeah, it's tough to rebound. Um, speaking with people within the club, I'm, I'm not surprised Heinze was let go. It, it seemed like um, a tough place to go to work every day. Um, you know, and honestly, it made my decision a little easier because I'm sitting here thinking, my, man, I'm glad I'm not a part of it. Um, honestly. And, and that's tough to say because, you know, yeah, I wish I was still playing. I wish I could still play. Um, you know, I loved my time at Atlanta United. And, uh, so, you know, I, I really hope that, uh, they, they write the ship there because the league's better off. We're all better off with Atlanta United being, uh, one of the top clubs and, and that stadium being full, you know, players on both ends of the spectrum want to play in Atlanta when it's full. So, um, I think they will turn it around. It's too big of a club. Arthur, Arthur Blank's too good of an owner. Uh, you know, Carlos and, and Darren will, will write the ship. And so um, it's going to take a little time. The, the roster probably isn't as talented as it needs to be, but uh, they'll get there. So based a little bit on, on what you're saying, did you end your playing career before you wanted to or or right when you wanted to? No, I mean, right when I wanted to. Uh, it was my choice and... and I mean, I, I just say I wanted to keep playing because, you know, I loved soccer, but my body just wasn't allowing me to do it as at, at a high enough level where I wanted to be all the time. Like I could get there for games here and there, but um, the struggle that I went through that last preseason was rough um, to get ready for that season. And so at that point I knew like, man, this might be my last season. And then, you know, as the season went on, I wasn't playing all the time and I thought, you know, this isn't this isn't how I want to end, and I don't, I don't want to end my career as you know a bench player, and, and and some guys do, and that's fine for them. But for me, I always wanted to go out, you know, 
with a certain standard at a certain level. And I thought, you know, this is that time because, you know, the, the league is getting so good and, and particularly the forwards are so, so good. And I didn't want my last year to be that year where you look back and think, man, man, he looks terrible. He's lost it. So, um, and I felt like I did like that last season. Uh, I feel good about my uh, performances. So, you know, I look back on it highly. Um, I want to hear a little more about how this USL team in Pawtucket came about. Uh, how did your involvement happen? Yeah, I met I met Brett Johnson on a on a call with with my other company, RippleWorks, and uh, you know we we were chatting about RippleWorks, and then you know he was like, hey, by the way, I need to speak to you about this Rhode Island project I have going on, and um, you know at the time I didn't even know that uh, Rhode Island was getting a USL team. Um, you know, so, so we talked and, and chatted and, you know, right away I was like, man, I want to be a part of this, you know, growing up in Rhode Island, my a bunch of my family still living there, all my friends. Uh, so, you know, I was, I was hooked right away, you know, especially looking into Brett Johnson and what he's done and with Phoenix and Tucson and, and everything that he's touched, he does things the right way and he, and he hires good people that he trusts. And, uh, so yeah, we had a few conversations making sure that, uh, our visions aligned. And then, uh, I said, yeah, let's do this. Cool. So when does that, when's that set to start? Kickoff will be 2023 stadium. Uh, stadium will start construction fall of this year. So yeah, things will. Uh, I know you think you think it's a long way off, but for us, we're like, oh man, it's it's coming quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what else are you doing? Where are you? You mentioned you have uh, a, another business. Yeah, so I'm located in Columbus, Ohio. We had relocated back here, uh, back to. Same place I was at when I was playing for the crew. And, uh, yeah, joined on with a company called Ripple Works. They're based down in Atlanta and, and Huntsville, Alabama. Um, I don't own the company, but uh, and I work with them. And they're a human performance uh, platform and um, introducing them into the soccer world and uh, having a lot of fun with it, learning something new. Uh, it's It's been challenging and unique and different, uh, but successful as well. Uh, I think we're headed to, to UEFA headquarters in, in the fall to onboard them. So, uh, yeah, wow. it's, it's been exciting and, uh, and challenging, of course, during a pandemic, but uh, it's going really well. And, and you say human performance, what does that involve? From anything from, you know, so obviously we work with organizations like UEFA, um, you know, but also soccer teams. So uh, we do everything from surveying to scheduling to uh, data analysis, basically a one-stop shop for, for soccer teams. So you don't have, you know, your schedule over here and communication over here and this over there. Um, we just wanted a, a central location for all things team related. Uh, so we're able to bring that into to one area to try and help teams. Uh, so um, particularly on the youth side, I think um, academy level, uh, but first team as well. But really, I think the sweet spot's academy. Uh, we've got our first M MLS academy team onboarding right now. So, uh, yeah, we're making strides and I'm enjoying it. And as someone who achieved what you achieved in your soccer career, uh, who was a captain of championship winning teams, I, I feel like I, I should ask, have you considered coaching? Have you considered media? I have. Uh, yeah. And uh, I've been approached in both regards, but um, now it's not the time for me. Uh, my wife just started working full time for the first time in forever. Uh, so uh, I'm kind of 
stay at home dad slash I've got these things uh, with Ripple Works and USL that I can do from home uh, that keep me busy. But uh, right now I don't have the time um, nor the desire to travel. And, uh, you know, a lot of the things that uh, are around with coaching and media involve travel. Um, I know media stuff you can more can do from home um, and those types of opportunities if they arise um, I'd be interested in. Uh, but yeah, focus right now is on the family and these, these things that I have going on that I can do from home. Nice. Um, I also wanted to ask about Paul Mariner because we lost Paul recently and, and Paul obviously was a, an amazing player back in his day and, and represented England at the world cup, terrific goal scorer, and then was assistant coach with the revolution when you guys were so good and, and won so many conference titles uh, when Steve Nichol was the head coach. And Paul was, I think, accurate. I got to know him a fair amount, you know, pretty larger than life guy. Like, what was your experience with Paul over the years? Uh, Paul is such a genuine, uh, great human being. I mean, he, like you said, he would, he'd take over a room really quickly. Right? Paul was always loud, um, obnoxious to a point, um, but just loved life, right? Was always laughing, was always joking around, was always having a good time. You know, that's what I'll remember Paul uh, most about. You know, him and Stevie just were a pair from heaven. You know, these guys just enjoy life to the fullest. You know, it's so different, you know, from coaches that you see these days where it's like, you know, stressful and watching film and breaking this down and doing that and that. And and then you had Stevie and Paul was like, man, we are going to work hard while we're on the field. And then we're going to goof around as soon as practice is done. And then we're going to continue to goof around. And, you know, we'll see you for practice tomorrow. You know, don't come too hungover. Uh, but what a great guy to play for. Uh, you know, we all loved Paul, uh, him and Stevie were just tremendous to play for. You know, I think a lot of our success comes down to their approach and, uh, how they, uh, formulated training, the environment that they gave us to succeed. Uh, it's, it was a different time for sure, but, uh, Man, Paul was such a legend. And, and even now, reading, I'm reading all these articles, and there was a great article on MLS soccer, and I'm still learning things about Paul, about how, oh, how big he was. I don't think I really understood you know, how um, regarded he was throughout the world. It's crazy. I went to Japan once for a story and ran into a guy who was like a coach over there who was like great friends with Paul Mariner, and they had done all these camps together, and I was like... It's a very small world when you're talking about people like that. Um, I, you know what I find interesting, actually, in my line of work of like telling stories is that we've, cr we've seen the creation of so many more new soccer fans in the United States over the last 10 years that a lot of them don't know about the history of the late 90s and even the early 2000s when it comes to the US national teams or even MLS. And it's reminded me to go and tell those stories. That's part of the reason I did the Freddie Adu podcast series I did because there were a lot of people who actually are fans now who weren't following it in 2004 or 2005. And I think your New England Revolution teams that were so good in those years 
might fall into that. I, I, I think that team and that sort of mini dynasty um, is worth more to tell. And, uh, and I wonder like, so maybe I, I'm going to come back to you at some point down the line here for, for some interviews, but just like off the top of your head, what do you think of when you think back to those teams that won so many conference titles and, and the players who are on those teams? Yeah, I think back of, man, it's such a shame we didn't win at least one title. We were so close to all three. Uh, and, and to think like people would probably regard us as one of the best uh, teams or you know dynasties of all time had we had we won all three um you know and we realistically could have or should have um in all three games uh but yeah when i think back to the roster and the veteran players that we had the, the talent that we had it, it, it's un, unremarkable um you know i get the question of who's the best player you've ever played with a lot and i want to say shalri joseph uh, and I usually do, but then I have to say someone more modern because like you said, a lot of people are like, who the heck Shalry Joseph? Um, yeah, but what an incredible team we had. It was so much fun too. Like we just really enjoyed ourselves. I mean, it, I encourage you to look into it because guys could tell unbelievable stories of things that went on in that team and, and pre-seasons, you know, it was, it was quite a time. And I didn't know, I knew no, nothing different, right? It was, it was my first professional team. I'll tell you, we watched 45 minutes of film in my four years with Steven Nichol. And that was after one game when we got bamboozled. He made us watch the first half on mute, no comment, nothing. We just watched the first half and that was it. And that was the only time we ever watched film. We never lifted a weight together. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I'm just thinking of some of the names that were on that team because I lived in Boston from 2004 to 07, uh, you know, which were some of the prime years of what we're talking about. So uh, Parkhurst, Shalry Joseph, Taylor Twellman, Clint Dempsey, Pat Noonan, Steve Ralston, um, Jay Heaps, Jay Heaps, I, 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 Matt I, Reese. Yeah, it, it, it's just a pretty impressive group. And if you were following it all as I was then, like it, it's even more impressive when you think about it now. But if you weren't a fan then, you just don't know. So um, I've got a whole list of of stories that I want to tell from the early two thousands and in late nineties and MLS because uh, just a, a fun period i think in in the history of the sport here it is and i you know i, I learned so much even listening to the freddie freddie adu documentary you know even stuff like that for me is, is is intriguing because even i you know being coming in the league in 2005 there's so much that guys before me went through that i don't know everything about right and i can tell stories of you know the old rsl field and the old metro stars field and and things like that that you know guys couldn't believe um or road trips and things like that but i'm sure there's the same way of guys that played in the late 90s that i would be like oh my goodness you did that you went through that type things uh so it's it's fun to listen to it's fun to 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 hear about and, and know yeah i i mean i i love doing that stuff and and 
I, I think also too, there's a sense of if enough time has passed, you get into the now it can be told territory where people are willing to tell stories that they weren't in the moment back then. <laughs> For sure. There's definitely things that are always kept under the rug, but you know, some of the things can come out uh, you know, after, after a period of time. Yeah, I think you've hit that sweet spot. Michael Parker has had a 15-year pro career in MLS and Europe, won league titles with Atlanta United in Denmark's Norseland, and reached five MLS Cup finals with three different teams. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Michael Parkhurst as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview with someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. <music>